0: and welcome back to another edition of your adrenal fix podcast where my mission is to help exhausted and burnt out adults to 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 teach them the truth about adrenal fatigue so that they can get their energy back quickly. And I'm really excited to have um, Mr. Mojo himself, Dorian Greenow for our second interview. Um, We are interviewing Dorian because it's so essential in today's day and age for the person who's exhausted and burnt out to have a finger on the pulse, literally and physically and metaphorically on what's going on with their blood sugar levels. So without further ado, Dorian, thank you so much for. being on on the podcast again today
1: yeah oh, thank you for uh, having me back it's um i'm really really honored it's glad to be here and sharing with your audience
0: yeah well thank you again i know you're a busy guy um you know 26 years ago now because our interview was two years ago 26 years ago from the uk arriving in america with 750 dollars in your pocket um why don't you get the viewers uh, updated with that and kind of how you got to where you are now
1: Well, as a relatively newly minted American, uh, I would say that the American dream is alive and well. Uh, Yeah, I did come here with $750 and nobody's handed me a big check. Uh, I started as a busboy, barback, matron D, director of hospitality in New York City, working for a catering company. Um, Came up to being the director of operations there and then came over to the Napa Valley, where I became the director of hospitality for a winery. And, you know, I'd been in the food and wine industry for most of my adult life in in the United States. My brother's a chef. My sister's a chef. You know, we all live in food. But in America, I started getting bigger. Why? Why is this? I was eating great food, you know, well-made foods. And yet still, I was that. Then I find myself in 2015. I was 207 pounds. Uh, all my biomarkers were there for metabolic syndrome. I was on antidepressants. I was failing at my job and I was like, what is going on here? And then a good friend of mine, um, Tom wide of dry farm wines, um, uh, he said to me, you got to cast out those white devils, cast those white devils out of your life. I do a terrible Southern accent. So I apologize to everybody for ruining that. And I'm like, dude, I don't do fad diets. I do not do fad diets. I've seen my wife do a cabbage soup diet. No, it's not in my lexicon. But I started reading up on a ketogenic lifestyle and, you know, Taubes, Lustig. Uh, you take a look at Volick and Finney, uh, Dr. Nature Winters. And I started looking at every single YouTube that I could find on these people and more. And, you know, the more you delve into the science and you know, my book collection started to get massive, the more you look into it, it makes absolute sense for an individual going back in history. So I started on a well-regulated ketogenic diet. Uh, I was using a competitor's meter at that time and over a period of about five months, most of my waste came off in the first like three to four months. Um, I went from 207 pounds down to 165, just doing keto and yoga. And that was it. And I did what I call a uh, lazy clean keto. It was, I tracked my macros baby for the first 30 days, just so I could understand foods. Uh, a lot of people that don't think understand carb quantities. I don't think they understand or read, or understand nutrition labels. And I think you've got to kind of like give yourself a little bit of a learning curve there. So that's what I started to want So I could track what I was doing and understand what that change was in my body. And then I was testing with an Abbott meter at that time. And, you know, the cool thing was I could see when I was first starting, how my ketone levels started to come up. You know, you get with 0.1, 0.2, 0.3, and you're like, well, I'm almost at that 0.5 and you enter ketopia and you're like, oh, I'm in ketosis. <laughs> you also feel, you know, the difference in your, in your mind when, when the, um, you know, when you, you are fueled on ketones rather than being fueled on glucose. And, and that fog seems to lift. And for me, I got back that joie de vivre that I felt when I was 24. You know, that, that, that spark, and I was like, where had that gone? You know, where had that been? It had been in the carb fog for, for so long. And so this was a fundamental change. And because of that, you know, I was looking at these test strips and back in 2015, they were four to five bucks. And I was like, why is this test strip so expensive? I drew up a list, 100 different manufacturers across the globe. I cross-matched that with the federal regulations and we launched Keto Mojo. And single-handedly, my wife and I, um, you know, I went to Gems and I said, hey, Gemma, do you think I could borrow some of the the home equity line of credit because I've got this business idea and we're going to go up against Fortune 500 companies and we're going to change the world with it? I mean, like, you know, against Fortune 500 companies? Are you crazy? But... She went along with the ride, and, and here we are. We're now the number one selling ketone and glucose meter in America. But to get there was very, very hard. And we managed to single-handedly change the price by over 75% on ketone testing. You know, my meter back then was like $60. And then at the beginning of October, we've kind of like done it again. We reintroduced a brand new meter into the market. Uh, price of the meter has gone from $60 down to like um, uh, 45. So that's almost another between 15 to 20% discount that is right there. And again, we've changed the price of the strips by a further 20% on the ketone strips. And we've managed to add a huge number of benefits in the, in the new meter. So we're super proud. But you know, I come back to fundamentally, I think you can, you, know, you want to have data-driven outcomes. You know, there's a phrase, test, don't guess. You know, I so often, I hear people, see people on social media go, I ate this last night, I had a carrot. Is that going to kick me out of ketosis? I don't know. Because your bioindividuality is completely different to mine. And this is what so many people forget. You know, trying to live your life by the lowest common denominator. I mean, Dr. Eric Westman says 20 grams total Rule. Well, what if you can have 30 or 40 or 50? What if you're an athlete and can do 65 grams of carbs because you're working out really well? What if you don't have the genetic SNPs that are, um, mean that keto, keto is right for you? There are some people that keto is not right, it's not right for. Uh, and it's not this, this panacea, but it can certainly do a lot of different things. And so the bio-individuality is the most important um, piece that needs to come on into play here and for people to learn their bodies and what is right for them. Am I advocating for somebody to prick their finger for the rest of their lives? No. And I'm gonna be the, probably the only person in the biotech world that is going to, is trying to do an anti-cell right now. We are training wheels for life. We help you train and learn your body so that when the time is right, you can cast off those training wheels. And because you've learned what is right for you, and you've learned how to do it, and it's a lifestyle, not a diet. And, but the cool thing is there are times we need to bring it back if you want to do a reboot. Um, my wife, Gemma, is a certified sommelier with the Walter Claw Scholarship. We love wine. So now, you know, I laugh and I say, I, look, I save my carbs for wine. And we like to test and do different things from around the world because we're trying to see well what what can we get away with, what can't we get away with. And as your body changes after being on this lifestyle, your metabolic flexibility changes, and that then can add different things. So it's it's a long journey, and the journey for me is still continuing. You know, we've introduced therapeutic fasts. You know, we've built up our fasting muscles so we can do a five day one now, and that has fundamentally change my ketone levels as well. My baseline has changed. For me, when I was on antidepressants, it was pretty bad. But what I found personally for myself, when I was between 1.1 and 1.7, this was my, my personal zone. Those, you know, those, you know, those feelings of inadequacy, the, the despairs that you have, the massive amounts of fits of anger that could come on in, you know, those were leveled out. Have, they, have I said they're gone? No you still have to manage that you know it's not going to help, but it helps protect the brain and gets you in, into a better stage so you know that was one of the reasons i was doing it so i think when people talk about ketogenic lifestyles you've also got to realize is why is that individual doing it like, are they doing keto for weight loss? Are they doing it for type two diabetes? Is it because they've maybe had a cancer diagnosis and they've heard that you know because of the Warburg effect that it can assist with that? Is it because they have polycystic ovarian syndrome and they're looking to conceive? Is it for epilepsy? Do they find the frequency of seizures because of epilepsy comes down when they're in a certain zone? Is for the epileptic higher, better or lower? No, it's bioindividuality. Is for weight loss higher, better or lower? No, it's not. What if you're doing as an athlete? Are you looking for endurance? What is your metabolic rate? You know, we measure what's in the tank. We don't measure how well on a cellular level you're ready to receive those ketones or um, uh, how well your liver can produce them. So there's lots of variabilities and there's lots of room there that you need a good interpreter or a coach like yourself who can come along and help people along the way. We are just one data set amongst many that can help map you and guide your journey.
0: Awesome, awesome information. And and I think the real take home on that, Dorian, is the domino effect of, okay, I got to release the white devil from my food from the original dry wine suggestion to going on a Uh, a controlled carb, uh, ketogenic based diet, and then the impact that that had on so many downstream effects that you may not have even considered like getting off medications and antidepressant and brain clarity and energy and focus. And, and now really what I want to commend Keto Mojo about is like you just mentioned is we're not really a selling company online. We're an information company online. So what, what I want to talk to you about, which I think is really key is talk about the glucose ketone index. Cause Mm. I think To track like you said is to know but you will see some people and this changed for me personally where they may be a little sluggish in the morning or they have that dawn phenomena and their glucose levels are a little bit on the higher side when we say higher maybe they're in the middle of the 90s or even in the hundreds but they also have ketones that are being produced. And when you look in that in relationship to the glucose ketone index, it gives you some more clarity on your quote unquote metabolic flexibility. So why don't you tell the listener who may be thinking about the fact that they're looking to lose weight or they're looking to have more clarity or get off medications, why the glucose ketone index number is so important, what to do with that information.
1: Absolutely, let's start a little bit on the genesis of um, the glucose ketone index. This is from Professor Thomas Seafried um, of Boston College. And he was looking at cancer as being a metabolic disease. So Otto Warburg um, originally was the guy who posited that, that showed that some cancers feed on glucose in an anaerobic environment. And so when looking at that, if you could starve the body of glucose, could you potentially starve out the cancer, weaken it so modern oncology methods could have a far, far more success. And so this is the way that it first came out. And uh, Professor Seyfried saw a complete relationship between glucose and ketones. So now in a, maybe in a more advanced um, uh, form of oncology, and what you're looking for is to get really kind of like high t- ketones, and really low glucose. Now, when you take a look at those two numbers together, and essentially what we're doing is taking your glucose measurement, which in America is in milligrams per deciliter, and converting that into metric, so to be for the European style, which is millimoles. So you do that by dividing it by 18. And then what you do is then divide that number by your ketone measurement. And that will give you a ratio uh, between a generally zero, super hard to get, Uh, all the way up to about nine and beyond. But really nine is at the threshold of GKI ketosis. Now I'm saying GKI ketosis is quite succinctly because you can have somebody who's at 0.4 or 0.5 on their ketones who, according to Volek and Finney, that is nutritional ketosis at 0.5. But because their glucose is higher, their ratio then is popped out. So the, the object of GKI is to kind of like get far more stability. Now, you can find that glucose can bounce around a lot during the day, and it, it, glucose moves really, really fast. Ketones have a tendency to drift up and drift down during the day. When you take the combination of both of those numbers, you start to get a much more stable line when tracking it over time. And, you know, that stability of like either moving up and moving down based upon glucose and ketones then becomes far more important when you're looking at it as a therapy. So normally, you know, my blood glucose, I'm gonna be around, I'm, I'm, I kind of like hover in, in sort of like the mid threes, um, which to some people is actually a therapeutic um, glucose ketone index, but I've been doing keto for a long time. Uh, I generally do one meal a day. Uh, I'm pretty much fasted most of that time, so you know I've, when I'm when I'm testing myself, I have a a good number of ketones that's going on in there, and you know my blood glucose is stable. In the morning, I can get into the 90s because I do have a dawn phenomenal phenomenon effect, so I've, I've got that 90. So generally, I like to test in the morning because that's my baseline about an hour after waking. Uh, and that kind of like lets me know what's going on with me. And uh, your ketones are highest just before your, your evening meal. So my baseline is the GKI that I like to hold on to personally myself. I think sometimes doing the GKI before and after meals, it, it gets a little bit muddied in the waters that is there because you're definitely, even with a low carb meal, you can get a 30 milligrams per deciliter rise. And I, know, I look at myself, if I keep my pot on my meal less than 30, I'm absolutely fine. And remember, do you need to test after every meal? The answer is no. You test to learn what is right for you. We're all creatures of habits. You know, you kind of like wake up and quite often you might have the same breakfasts. You know, once you've done one or two, you test and learn that breakfast. Do you have to test again if you've known what your body does to it? No. So the frequency of testing a lot, uh, to begin with, starts a lot and then it, it peters out over time. But I think the GKI, we were the first meter on our app to actually do the calculation in app for you. Uh, Our meter in Europe, you can actually, the meter itself will do the GKI. Unfortunately, the FDA don't support it. So we couldn't put the GKI on the meter. That's why you'll see it's a GK plus because the FDA put the the, the cross in it and said, no, you can't do GKI. So we changed that piece to make sure that we can't do in meter calculation. but we are allowed to do on-app calculations. So that's, so that's the kind of like when people go like, well, why is that one in Europe GKI and in America it's GK plus? Every country has its own regulatory affairs and it took us uh, nearly two years to, to pass the FDA regulation. And I think this is really an important piece. There are many ketone meters out there and some of them sold in America are not the device does not carry up what's known as a a 510K registration, because ketones are not considered too much of a risk, but measuring glucose is a risk because anybody who is adjusting their insulin based upon a glucose measurement, here is where hypoglycemia could come on in. And that's where it becomes more important. So I always would say, if you're going to choose a meter, first of all, ask that company, does it have a 510K? And I can tell you there's only about three in America that actually truly have a 510K. And if you're measuring just ketones, you're only seeing half the picture. You've got to have glucose and ketones. And the moment you bring glucose in on the subject, you know that that person has to have had a 510K. And you know that's really hard to get. Um, the clinical trials, the studies that have to be done, uh, the strictness that you get from the FDA that comes into play is, is pretty big. Uh,
0: yeah, well, coming from the other side, Dorian, I work with clients that are exhausted and burnt out and I get a lot of DMs and, and they say, well, I know my blood sugar is related, you know, I'm hypoglycemic and I ask them, well, have you ever tested? And well, yeah, I test when I do my 12-hour fast. I go to the doctor, and my glucose is 102. And for the doctor to tell me that it's high, it has to be above 123. I've even seen some of the lab ranges be 132. Meaning, if you're 133, you're you're la- labeled as high. If you're 132, you're normal. And the diagnosis for diabetes is 126. I, so what they're saying is it's normal to be diabetic. But anyways, that's a whole other point
1: what i found is- maybe it's normal in america to be diabetic uh which is. is which is sad i mean if i had a 130 i'd be really concerned that's me right because i know right. my I'm, I'm i'm going for the 83 that's the most perfect you can get but you've got to realize a home kit like people focus on these home kits and they go like i i had a 10 point difference or a 15 or a 15 point difference well, wait a minute you know this is a 45 dollar home kit if you want to get within 2% of absolute, you've got to buy a $20,000 analyzer or YSI. So there's always going to be a little bit of variety to it. And it's, so I kind of like, uh, have an analogy, it's like archery. You know, The strip is your arrow, the meter is your bow, the control range is the target that you're trying to hit there. And obviously there is the archer and there is a skill to testing and there is. I always recommend when somebody's first getting the meter, use the glucose strips to test because they're a lot cheaper and that can help you practice. There's an art of, you know, warming your hand up, washing it up like that, getting the bead, putting the strip in, the timing of all of that, you know, there's, there's an order. And then how looking down, there is an art to that. And what we've tried to do with our new meter is to try and design out most of the challenges there, provide the videos and the how-tos and the customer support to get people happy and testing and using it and understanding that skill set. Uh, so, yeah.
0: Yeah, but I, but I think it's important to talk about the GKI again because back to that person who doesn't measure their glucose and thinks that they're hypoglycemic when effect, they're actually hyperglycemic when they should be more controlled. I ask them, well, have you tested your glucose real time, you know, using a meter? No, I'm not diabetic, so why do I need to? Mm -hmm. So then they start to measure their glucose. And then I say to them, well, what's your ketones? And, and then they say, well, I don't measure my ketones. I just do my glucose. So that's where I brought that question up to you, why I think it's essential to have a meter like the keto mojo that's going to measure both, because then you can start to, like you said, to track and to know. But once you may see that that number is um, maybe a little bit on the higher side but you're not measuring your ketones and then you measure your ketones and you see that you're producing ketones and your GKI is less than nine. It gives that person some more context of how they're moving the needle or or what they should be doing. So I think, I think that's invaluable. And honestly, Dorian, I think that in, in today's day and age, anyone who's dealing with a chronic health problem that needs to be one of the main tools that they're using. So so what question I have to you is you said, your user is typically going to be a finite time, right? Yes. In terms of as they start to learn themselves and they start to do the same meals and they start to know what's happening, Um, But can you give us sort of a concept in terms of what you see as being um, baseline strategies as opposed to, say, ad hoc strategies, meaning certain times of the day that they may be experiencing this or that? So maybe if you can give the user who's new to this and really thinks, hey, this is something I got to do, what would they be doing baseline wise first?
1: Okay, great. The word baseline is what I love to hear, because you've got to learn what your body is to begin with. So that baseline measurement an hour after waking is the important piece. This is, this is like, you, you haven't eaten yet, this is your stable, fasted. We're doing an hour after waking because of the dawn phenomenon with that cortisol spike that will push up your glucose in the morning. It usually blows off about an hour. Some people can be a little bit longer. So that's, that's baseline. That's, that's tool number one um, uh, in, in, your, in, in your arsenal. Uh, and because, you know, some people might be more insulin resistant, you know, their pancreas might be a little bit tired. They might not be secreting as much insulin. And that's what we're looking to, to change that over a while. And if you do that regularly enough, you can almost have an, an A1C equivalent. If you kind of like start looking at the averages over, over three months, uh, you can certainly help you guide that, that way along. So that's tool number one. Tool number two is what I do the test before or after a meal. So before a meal I take a baseline and then I'm gonna wait about an hour after a meal and I'll test again. And I'm looking on that low carb meal not to have more than a 30 point spike in my glucose. If I'm under that, I'm pretty happy with that one. So that's one little piece of information that I I can tell from that utilizing the glucose. Now, by doing that same test, I can also use it to sleuth out what I call trigger foods. Uh, somebody wrote to me just recently that had had a keto pizza and he did not see the glucose go up, but his ketones came down by two points. And they asked the question, what's going on here? Well, you might not have had a glycemic response, which is the glucose, what if you actually did have an insulin response which caused as a signal to say to your liver you don't need to produce ketones anymore and now your ketones came down so this is sort of like an inference of an insulin response it's an inference it's not is but it is an inference so now you can sleuth out if a particular sugar alcohol or product is actually giving you an insulin response I know I have a problem with sugar alcohols, personally. Xylitol, mannitol, sorbitol, all of those tolls take their toll on me. And so I choose not to to have them because I have seen my ketones go down. Now I'm trying to target my ketones in a personal zone for me, for my well-being you know rather than having to take a medication i want to be between 1.1 and 1.7 so i don't want my ketones to come down if they did come down and they all one and it's not an issue for that person can that person then have that sugar alcohol that's their binding that's their choice that they get to make from a data driven outcome can i do erythritol yeah erythritol is not bad for me and and so i can do monk fruit and those things so if i am going to have um I, I, I sort of like it's sort of like a placebo if I need to have a placebo you know you, you find that after being keto for a long time that you don't really want to have a dessert and you don't really need to have a cookie and you don't really need to have a snack because you've got satiety but you know, if I do fancy to, to try a little treat then it's it's not a problem because I know myself so that's the the sleuth out method Then, you know, if you're doing the before and an after meal, then you can take it to the next level if you really want and like test about three hours after. So what you're looking to see is, Hey, did I have this glucose rising up? Yes, I did. How quickly did I then get back down to my baseline is a little bit as what's telling me is how well my pancreas is, is doing. Am I secreting that? Am I coming down to the baseline that I need to do? And then as you talk, going back to that baseline over time, are we seeing our fasting glucose especially who's somebody who's pre-diabetic as you mentioned before getting above that one in those 130s are we seeing that come down are we reversing the effects now i use that word reversing very carefully because verter house in san francisco have shown that with a well-regulated ketogenic diet and they use the terms they've got some big lawyers that you can reverse the effects of type 2 diabetes they found that 67 percent of people Either man needs to come off of all or half of their medications. That means a World Wrigley Keto diet is prescription strength. Why does Verde Health use our meter? I think it's very important. Is a keto diet works so well for a type 2 diabetes? Their prime worry is deprescribing uh, medications that it works so quick and so well, they don't want anybody to have a hyperglycemic, that's why they want them to test their glucose. Think about that, just changing a way of eating, their biggest concern is getting people off drugs so they don't have a problem in a timely fashion and being able to do that remotely. And it's amazing now, you know, we have been working on this for a long time and so have you, but you can do this remotely with people. And what's also cool is testing gives, um, accountability and it also gives control to the individual. Now, I remember when my wife got her cancer diagnosis and all of a sudden, you know, it's dealing with the oncologist and the radiologist and the private care physician and you feel that you've given over everything. You have nothing that you have control of. Well, you actually do. You bring back control in what you are eating. You bring back control of knowing that you are doing what you need to do. I mean, like I mentioned, when you see Yourself, your ketones rising up and getting into ketosis and maintaining that stability. Because the first few weeks, months of, of being on a keto diet, you are not metabolically flexible. Um, Volick wrote in the Art and Science of Low Carbohydrate Living that it can take an athlete 12 weeks to get fat adapted. Well, what does that mean? That means on a cellular level, we have to have our mitochondria change to able to accept those medium chain triglycerides. To be able to accept those ketones. And so it is a metabolic journey as we're on a cellular level we change ourselves. And I think I think this is actually quite cool when you really think about it. We, we can change by what we eat on a cellular level. That's quite fantastic. And you know, when we look at that, ketones. Ketones can freely cross the blood-brain barrier. Glucose needs a transporter. It needs a ship to take us over the blood-brain barrier. If you don't have that, it means your brain is devoid of the energy that it needs. So if we can easily get ketones over the blood-brain barrier, do you think that is potentially the default state for humans rather than glucose burning? If we go out into mother nature and I say to somebody, "Go, go get me some carbohydrates, please. Where are they gonna get a carbohydrate in the woods? Well, first of all, they might go like, hey, let me go and find that bee's nest and there's 300,000 bees there and I'm going to fight my way through because I want to get some honey. That's pretty difficult. Uh, it might be, all right, I'm going to go for some blueberries because blueberries are in season or only in season for one, one month and you've got to go and fight off the bear, the raccoons and whoever else is eating it and like that. Or do you go in to say, hey, I can either get a handful of berries but I don't have any refrigeration Or do i take down that bear or that elk or that bison and feed my family for six months that was our default state for 2.1 million years we get perfect protein which is designed that allowed our brains to get so huge we became this because we did live a kind of a lifestyle now Am I saying that you can't be vegetarian and keto? No, you can do it. It takes a little bit more skill. As most vegetarians know, they have to be careful of getting the right balance of vitamins and minerals and so that they can do it. So if you believe because of um, uh, that, you know, of, of animals and you don't want to cause that, totally cool, go um, uh, vegan keto. It's a little bit harder. I personally um, believe that for optimal health, you know, we are omnivores, And, you know, when you look at it, What is a well-regulated ketogenic diet? Because we can get fixated into numbers, but if in a simple sentence, it is adequate fat, moderate amount of protein, lots of above ground leafy vegetables. It's a very simple thing. Those words have been chosen carefully. What do I mean by adequate fat? Well, if somebody is obese, they've got plenty of fat on their body. If you're in a state of um, ketosis and your liver has now been changed to metabolize your bodily fat, then you can pull off the fat leader. You don't need to be stuffing your face with fat on a ketogenic diet. If you've got a lot, you want to have a slight caloric deficit that comes with Moderate protein. Why do I say moderate? Well, some people too much protein can reduce down their ketones. Not kick them out, I say reduce down. Then it's why is the person doing the ketogenic diet? Is it for weight loss or is it for epilepsy? For somebody for epilepsy, not having too much protein might be right for them. For there are some carnivores in the world, like the Danny Vegas, you know, like boom, stacked, you know, like, and they can eat an entire cow. Great for them, but for others, it's not. And then I say lots of above ground leafy vegetables because that's pretty simple uh, when you put it on in that way. And, you know, people think that I'm all, I'm just eating half a cow. I'm not, it's moderate, you know, it's a piece meat about, well, I can do one chicken thigh and I'm pretty good with that because it's a chicken thigh with the skin on, with fat onto the sauce that's going on there. Maybe I fried up some mushrooms and I've added a little bit of butter or ghee into that just to bring a little bit more fat onto the that. So I've got that nice ratio of 70 to 80% fat, you know, um, 20% of protein and then maybe 5% carbs. And that's kind of like what I'm shooting for. And then two nice, fists of of veggies to go onto the side obviously the mushroom is the veggie I use that to bring up the fat because mushrooms bring it up and then a bit of broccoli la la, um, broccoli rabe with olive oil and red pepper flakes isn't that delish I'm getting hungry even just kind of like thinking about it you know and it's sort of like we're getting almost four in the afternoon and I'm still fasted but you know that to me is what a well-regulated ketogenic diet should be
0: Oh, that's awesome. Awesome information. I'm still thinking about the prescriptive grade dietary changes that require type two diabetics to actually be monitored to come off their insulin because it's so effective. I, I, I think people may miss that point because Um, what's actually happening there is that the insulin is driving the already controlled, very quickly lowered blood glucose from dietary changes so quickly. And so, so high that they risk of having such a drop in blood sugar levels. I think that's a great point. And I love your description of the new diet in terms of what it means to be in a ketogenic or favorable, um, let's talk about that, Dorian. What does it mean to you to be metabolically flexible? Cause so, some people may not understand what that term means. And I, I have an idea what I think it means. And when I work with stressed out clients, um, what would you define or uh,
1: explain what meta, what it means to be metabolically flexible? Yeah. Um, for me, it's like not sweating the little things. I mean, in an earlier way, like, you know, like not going like, will it kick me out of ketosis? I know what will and will not kick out of uh, ketosis. So being metabolically flexible, um, I'm gonna do it in two ways. First of all, for the athlete, somebody who wants to be an athlete. If you are just eating carbohydrates or carbo-loading or just and generally not in the state of neutral because you're only burning one fuel. So now what if, if you're a race car and you came to the, to, the, to, the, to, the, to the actual race and you only had one fuel? And then up next to you came this dual-fueled monster of a beast. It's got ketones for absolute endurance. And then when it it wants to overtake you, it's going to hammer onto the glucose and go like that. Who do you think is going to have the advantage? If we go back into history, ancestral history, who do you think had the advantage when they became dual-fueled? This is what metabolic flexibility gives you. Uh, metabolic flexibility for me as an individual is knowing I am, if I do have, uh, maybe a niçoise salad and the chef went and put potatoes into it, is that going to make me bothered? Maybe not. If it's like one or two, I'm going to be absolutely fine. If that's a little bit of a sweet potato with sour cream, I'm not going to sweat it. And if I did have any worry, I would come back home. I would test. And if I felt my ketones were going in the wrong direction, you know what? I just would fast in the morning. I will just skip, skip one meal and I'm back into my zone. So that metabolic flexible means that I don't live my life, as I'd like I said before, at the lower common denominator of 20 grams. I live my life that is right for me and me only because I've learned what I can and cannot get, get away with. And I also like to, to push the edge. You know, I love wine and conversation with our friends and I want to sit down uh, with them and enjoy that and not feel that I'm some kind of like, you know, seven-headed hydra because i live a ketogenic lifestyle uh, i look at them eating the carbs knowing what the damage it can do you know you, know, you think you know i used to smoke when i was a young young lad I, started, I first started smoking when i was 16 and i gave up when i met my wife when i was 20 26 so let's think about that one cigarette's not going to kill you is it one piece of cake's not going to kill you is it but that cake will add up over a period of time and then what do we see? People get type 2 diabetes diagnosis and suddenly they have 15 years left of life expectancy. Plus, they have what I call the long goodbye, which is their quality of life in later, later years. is not. They're, they're not having um, a health span. They might have a bit of lifespan, but that's because they're being artificially kept alive. Losing a kidney is not good. Losing your leg is not good. And that's what one piece of cake can do over a period of time and a time. As the roller coaster ride that is it, don't you think it's sad that here in the United States of America, our children now have less of a life expectancy than we than their parents did, with all the advances in medicine, with all that we spend, it's now less. Why is that? You know, people go like, well, there's not enough science in in keto, and you're like, well, it's about 175 peer-reviewed papers. But don't you think that that experiment? That went back to Ansel Keys, and people even cut. Haven't we sown enough of a data set to say we have a massive obesity problem in America? And we also have a massive health problem. I think that data to me is pretty conclusive. And people go, Well, how is keto gonna feed the world? How are you gonna change the paradigm? I think we are washing America in food, we don't have a food problem. What we have is a transportation and distribution problem for those who are the haves and the have-nots. But I think it's really, really possible to to feed the world, and that's you know, that's one of my ultimate goals. Is, you know, I think I, last time I, I touched upon this, and I said I want to change the farming par- paradigm globally. So how do we do that? How would we change the farming paradigm? Well, first of all, it's a bottom-up approach. If people start changing their habits and changing the shopping, the outer aisle, so to speak, leaving that garbage, that morgue that is in the middle, you now have a market forcing function that will change it. People are having healthy fats, good quality uh, um, pasture-raised meats, um, fantastic above-ground vegetables grown by local family farmers. Now you change the farming paradigm, and those farmers will start to switch and say, hold on. We can now already get zoodles. We can now already get cauliflower thins. We can now already get cauliflowered rice that is in the stores that we could never get when we started in 2015. Already commerce is taking note. Now, the United States Department of Agriculture is the fox guarding the hen house. They do the USDA guidelines And the USDA are also the ones who are responsible for subsidizing corn, soy, wheat, and cheap carbs in America. That subsidy is killing people in America and is causing the obesity epidemic which is making your medical costs go through the roof. Now, what if that subsidy changed? Healthy vegetables, why are they so expensive? Really? That is is terrible. It shouldn't be like that because the vegetable growers got to compete against the subsidies of corn and soy and wheat. And those guys have been pushing out bushels and bushels and bushels and yields are going up and they're still getting subsidies in big ag. We need to be supporting the family farmers. We need to change the farm bill. It is the most boring piece of legislation. Nobody ever takes a look at it. But what if we did start subsidizing healthy foods Healthy Fats, the work of what Nina Ty Schultz is doing with the Nutrition Coalition, I think is amazing. And you know that to us is important. So these things is for what Gemma and I is what makes a difference. So we started the Ketogenic Foundation. Uh, it's now a 501c3 public charity. And if you go to our website and you read an article about a, a food and you click on the link, instead of us making money from it, it goes to the Ketogenic Foundation. We have raised over $520,000 for the foundation so far, which we're really pleased about. And the goal of the foundation is to fund clinical trials and studies and education on ketogenic therapies for the benefit of humankind. Because we need a feedback loop to go back to the scientists, because every scientist and clinician that I meet, what I hear from them is they don't have the money to do the studies. So if we can help fund pilot studies that can showcase the effectiveness on it, then they can go and get the big NIH grants—these two and four and five million dollar grants—to expand it out into bigger cohorts. That can fundamentally change. We've tried to help the work of um, Doug and Pam Devine of Low Carb USA. Uh, they have the um, Metabolic um, a Society of Health Practitioners that were working with Dr. Robert Sivers. So the foundation has helped them with a the grant to get them set up, just like you have the, the American College of Bariatric Surgeons we should have the same thing where the doctors are making the decisions and the doctors are putting together the standard of care and the doctors are changing and educating themselves and that's what we're looking for the, the ketogenic foundation to to do um, i'm looking hopefully within the next two months we will have the mymojo marketplace on our website we, we will introduce our friends in and in, um, uh, in the ketogenic world and every single penny of that will go to the foundation. And the goal is that if we can build up an endowment that in perpetuity, we will be able to fund science, that is data-driven healthcare and outcomes that Jim and I are really looking forward to doing because we don't have children. What is my legacy that I made a buck or made a difference? And I think I want to leave this with us saying, you know what, we made a little, little bit of a difference and we did good because I think that's the right way to, to move forward.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. You know, all from, from 2017 understanding that they're <laughs> charging an arm and a leg $4 for a strip. And I got to come up with a way to, to beat that. Had you ever anticipated the domino effect or how far downstream you've come in terms of your your truer, bigger
1: mission? At all, I would have never in my if if I had put this down as a business plan, I would have been laughed out with every single banker uh, anywhere. Out never in my wildest dream, but you know it just felt right. And you know when, you know, when you when your brain is fueled on ketones, you're, there is a real difference. And I'm not just kind of like doing it as a marketing. I mean, Dr. Robert Sivers, he's just had a a, a a new baby boy. Uh, I don't know if it's boy boy. I could be wrong there. A new baby, let me just be clear. And, uh, you know, for him, he, he stood up at Low Carb USA. and said, if brain development is the most important thing for a young child, and we know that ketones protect the brain and actually enhance the brain through the work that has been done in epilepsy, is feeding that child glucose actually child abuse? It was a very, a doctor said this, not me, so well, I'm not going to get into the that whole piece, but is it? And he asked that question, and uh, his wife was ketogenic throughout the, their pregnancy. They have a beautiful child; uh, it's doing extremely well. But what I hear is I asked the fundamental question: it is like, is if our brain development is like this so important, what is the human potential? Instead of me just trying to fix my metabolic damage in you know when I'm 45, what would have been my potential as a human being? if I was fueled on this. And I wonder how many more Einsteins we could potentially have had. If you think about when Einstein was living, he was in the era, the same era as my grandmother, who was keeping lard in the refrigerator, if you think about that. You know, the rise of cheap carbohydrates only came in the, late, in, in the last 10,000 years, and it's mainly from the 1800s, but when it really started ramping up, was in, you know, is, is in that early, early period in the 70s, 80s. It started in the 60s, but then it really took hold. And that's when, when people realized, uh, especially in the food business, that um, what effectively could happen is they could you know, hijack a person's taste buds by adding carbohydrates. Bringing carbohydrate and fat together is like a, a recipe for carbohydrate addiction. And we need to break the addiction cycle. And it's hard. As somebody who's been through it, you know, that is difficult because it's a physiological and a psychological game. And this is where I think our meter helps on the psychology of it. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, I, when I do fasting, when I first started doing the 16-8s and then getting into 22s and the 24s, and then finally getting into 36, you know, I would test myself and people, you know, people are like, oh, I'm feeling a little bit jittery, a little bit hypoglycemic. Well, I'll go, well, am I? So I test, and my glucose was kind of like eighty-three. So I then test my ketones, and I see my ketones are coming up a bit, a bit more than I normally are. They were in the twos and the threes, and I wasn't used to being at this level. So that jittery was because my body wasn't used to such a higher ketone level. But what was interesting is I'd almost doubled on my energy level at that time. You know, and when you sometimes have Pavlov's dog ring that bell at noon, or when you come home after five or six o'clock at work, and you want to have a cocktail is going to ring the bell and you're conditioned for that. And I would go, oh, I've got this little hunger pang. But then I would test. And if my um, ketones were twice as much, I had twice as much energy in my body. So was I really hungry or was it in the mind? And then you can train the mind. And this is how you build your fasting muscles up for, for longer periods. And why would I do a longer period of fasting? Well, for me, it's all about the autophagy and the apoptosis. It's like, how to, if like, on a monthly basis, what if I could remodel my kitchen, so to speak? And when you remodel your kitchen, you don't come and bring all the new counters in, you gotta get rid of the old counters first. That's what fasting does. It sets you up to say, we've gotta get rid of the organelles and stuff that we don't need here. We're gonna clear that lot out, bomb, that's out. But then what it does next, it gives you an almost a, on day like two or three, you get a 1200% increase in your human growth hormone. This is as you're putting the new counters on in. You know, you break your fast, you might even do a nice workout beforehand, you've broken your fast, now you've got like that, you've got huge amounts of human growth hormone into it. This is how the, the folks like keto gains and these guys get swole on keto, add muscle mass. You know, I'm not looking to be a, a muscle bound person as you can see, but I am looking for health span. I wanna live a long vital life and know that I have that very short goodbye, and just drop down dead, that's my ultimate goal. My grandmother got to 96. Am I genetically disposed to do that? How can I fix the damage of when I was a young lad and I smoked? Can I fix the damage of what I did metabolically? I don't know. But I wonder if the next generation could choose a different path and what is our human potential from it?
0: Yeah, that's awesome information. And I I would just follow up on not only the mixing of the carbs with the fats and the hydrogenated oils, but also the glutamates to create that addiction as well. Um, and then all of that together um, is a very stimulating mTOR thing, which is going to drive up insulin, drive up glucose, drive up um, major challenges. And therefore, that's why it's so important, as you mentioned, Dorian, to be metabolically flexible, but also to measure and to test and to know and to overcome, as you've mentioned in it, Pavlov's dog, and I talked about it too, like a difference between cycle craving and physiological hunger you need to be able to understand what the difference is just as a side thing i just wanted to ask you as far as the the coffees with the mcts and the ghee. um what's your take on that i'm just kind of curious for my own personal self and, so, and breaking I'll, yeah i'll do
1: two takes on this first of all uh a friend of my of, of my wife's, when she was working at the winery, came on in with, like, hey, uh, you know, look, I'm trying to bulletproof coffee and it's great because I want to uh, lose weight. And this person was like a, some, a cycling instructor, yet we're still eating carbohydrate. Fatal mistake. And that's a classic piece of marketing where people are not, when I mean, people don't understand the full story of what you really need. You know, if you're in a, in a, in a straight of nutritional ketosis, you know, will a keto coffee be a problem for you? Probably not. But the reason is, and we came back to adequate fat. Should you just be getting your fats from a coffee uh, and having it in it? I would think that I would prefer to have the satiety I would get from maybe an egg with a large selection of vitamins and minerals and a whole food that's coming on into play uh, as, as an item Instead of a fatty coffee and pounding that down. So you're getting it from just, I am a JERF subscriber just to eat real foods. Yes, I believe that there's, you can have treats and those other things that can come on in. I look for simple ingredients on the labels. If I've got three or four simple ingredients and I go like, yeah, this sounds like a, a food for me. If I have 17 ingredients, then I'm beginning to get like, are we getting into the Franken keto food? Let's make a buck craze. And that that is something that also cons, concerns me. So, so yeah, there, there is a balance here. And then it is why you're doing it. If you're an, if you're at a set point, like you've been doing it for a long time, like me, and you then know that you've you've kind of like reached down there. You you know, when you're first starting, you still don't need it's adequate fat. You can drop off those fats so you can lose the weight. Then you've got to get to that kind of like set point where you're balancing the amount of fat um, uh, to your caloric needs. So, you know, when we talk about macros in that first 30 days, you know, people are losing weight, I do think it's important to understand your macros and adjust them down over time as your metabolic rate changes. And people don't do that. They go like, well, I should be eating this amount of cal- calories a day and I'm gonna track them with my, my chronometer, but they need to adjust over time. So yes, I think there's a place in time. If you wanna use a keto coffee as a crutch, you can do a fat fast if some people wanna do that, if, it's, if it is a thing. Do I love my English PG tips tea with heavy cream in it? Yes, I do. It makes me feel fine during the day. It is what I do with my Pavlov's dog. That works well for me, but it might not work well for everybody. That's why I'm saying don't live your life by the lowest common denominator. Know what your body is at and you know, test, assess, and address those items. If you test, you know what's going, you know what your trend is, you assess what the problems are in it, what are commanding the externalities, stress, cortisol. Dude, when I started this company three years ago, you know, I was like, I had like my I, was, I had a photograph taken of me coming out of the beach. It was my James Bond obituary shot. But then three years of work trying to build a company up, the stress levels will get you. My cortisol comes on up because of that. And I know I have put on weight and I'm the keto guy. So I am now back to, hey, I got to get better with this. And so I even reboot after having it been done so long because it's gonna happen to people. You get into your work, you get into the stress, you feed off that, you don't realize you're having that your, your glucose is going up, you're getting your, your insulin response because of that. And yeah, you can still have uh, carbs and wine will take its toll. Um, so, cause we're all, Fallible creatures, and I'm probably one of the worst. <laughs> There's that addictive part of your personality, you know, that 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 little that little gremlin that hides there that you have to manage in life.
0: Right. Well, so, okay. So, but I I agree with you though, on the, the to track is to know, and that's where the testing comes in. So, but as far as what you're doing, so when you do like a a fast and you you're, you're having one meal a day, you're not counting the coffee with the cream. That's not considered breaking my,
1: not in my book, but remember, I'm Mr. Lazy, lazy, clean keto. I know there are some people that are like, if we take a look at Dr. Um, Fang of like saying what real fasting is, it's gonna be like, yeah, we're just gonna be on water there. Where you might be able to do black coffee or, or and a little bit of black tea and no stimulants that is there. So when I'm doing a therapeutic fast, that's a different game for what I'm doing. When I'm right. doing my one meal a day, this is pretty much kind of like my way of doing. I mean, I used to have like a, a, a triple cream fat yogurt in the morning with a sprinkling of blueberries and some pecans that was on, on there. You know, and that's what I might start my day out. Usually I would skip or maybe have a light snap for lunch and then just do the, the main meal. Now I've readjusted it up and I'm going like, you know, I skip um, my breakfast and lunch. I'll just have tea during the day and maybe mid afternoon I'll have a snack of maybe some saucisson or something like that. You know, that's kind of like or one of my favorite things is a cauliflower thin provolone cheese, bang it in a microwave. One minute, bing, cheese is melted, throw some arugula on that and away you go. One or two of those is is, is a simple one. A handful of warm nuts is, is great as well. You know, those are the simplicity parts to it. People think, well, oh, keto must be difficult. And it's like, no, it's, when it's real food, it can be broken down. And even right. for maybe a, a busy mother uh, who, who's you know, a, a single mom managing a family, doing one meal a day is a lot easier than trying to cook three times a day. Right. You know, when Gemma goes away and, and I'm at home and I, I go, great, I'm going to fast because I don't have to do shopping, I don't have to do cooking, and I don't have to do any washing up. Just look after the dogs and cats and Gemma's happy. Brilliant, bingo. Productivity goes up, all is good.
0: Right, no, absolutely. But I do find like, unfortunately, with the demographic that I work with that you mentioned and touched upon managing a, a business, releasing massive amounts of cortisol and, and really creating that, um, that whole resistance and the, and the neurotransmitters and the need for food Um, it's one of those things where control, put the burning building at ease, put the fires out, work on that and slowly become metabolically flexible. You can't jump into the deep end without learning how to swim, obviously, for for
1: sure. And you know, we're we're a data set and there's a whole bunch of other data sets that you're going to do into, into your life. How are you doing with your sleep? How are you managing your stress? Do you have community and faith and gratitude within your life? Are you controlling the externalities or perhaps toxins in the home or outside of, of the home that you are de- dealing with in that way um, uh, that comes on in? You know, there is the entire terrain about the individual and you've got to kind of like go and take a look at the terrain around you to really, uh, to, to really make a difference. Um, this is especially true um, in oncology. Uh, and, and the way that we're now looking at people trying to change those externalities. Uh, because, you know, it's it's not that like one thing is going to make the, the huge difference. You might get 1% here, 2% there, 1% here, 2% there. But slowly, all of those will add up to the tipping point. And that's where the game really gets happened, is is looking at, at around all of those areas. And this is where data-driven healthcare, I think, is is on the verge of changing many things. You know, you take a look at software systems like BioCanics or software systems like Heads Up Health, where people are pulling all of these data aggregators. So, you know, as a businessman, I check my balance sheet every month. I check my P every month. When do we do that for our bodies? Think about that, you know, that once a year checkup that we might get from the doctor when we get all the blood work done. We don't even do it on, a businessman does it every month to check to make sure they're doing everything right and to adjust against the numbers that they see. Why don't we do it for our healthcare? We now have these great wearables that can bring a huge amount of data set in with your sleep, with your Fitbits, uh, with your, um, obviously with your Keto, Keto Mojo, with pulse oximeters and we have wearable EKGs and heart rate monitors and HRVs. You know, if you really want to take command of yourself this can get it then you, when you're going and getting your biomarkers from your doctor now you're adding this better picture in this picture of like how am i doing that becomes data-driven outcomes it's amazing that we're working with a lot of ehr systems because we have built a secure hyper compliant encrypted health cloud on two continents now, your new app we haven't really been talking about it much yet because we're getting it all dialed on in. But your new app called Connector Heads Up Health with Chronometer, um, with BioCanics, and we're adding another nine companies right now. And so we, what we're finding is EHR systems just do snapshots. They don't say, okay, this is what this person is at this moment. But we can have real-time telemetry. Th- think about that. Imagine an oncology patient who's using a well-regulated ketogenic diet for, uh, for, for a cancer treatment, and that morning they, they test, and then the oncology knows it, the radiologist knows it, the primary care physician knows it, because all that data is now there. Imagine the health practitioner like yourself saying, I want to see all of my um, people today who have a blood glucose over 130. I'm concerned about them. And I wanna send a message to every single one of those people in email. And I've asked them to link on in to say something like chronometer and you've been asking them to track their foods. And we brought that all in together into an API. And it goes like, dear Joe, hey, we noticed this morning that your blood glucose is over 130 and this has us concerned. We noticed in the last 24 hour period that you ate this. Some of these foods are some of these flags things. We really need you to focus in on those psychologists know that it's not come back and see me in eight weeks. It's come back and see me next week or come back and see me tomorrow. They have to work one-to-one to change the habits. We, if we want to affect outcomes, have to change the person's habits. And that's what testing does because it works on two levels. One, it gives you, the practitioner, the data you need to help that individual. But two, it gives you the accountability to the person who's actually testing it. They go like, I got this or I don't have this they know they don't have it at that moment they have a decision to say do I change my way going forward or do I dwell in the past because there is only the moment of now and the future and you adjust yourself. house had better uh, attention rates than somebody taking a pill. Think about that for a second. In somebody's home Changing their food, they did better than somebody taking a medication because people still don't even take their medications because they had a team of coaches and doctors who were trying to change somebody's habits. And I mentioned to you that we, you use your meter for the, maybe the first 60, 190 days or something like that. The goal is to change the person's habits. And once you've changed it, you cast off those training wheels. You don't need them anymore because we're in, in health outcomes. And that to me is one by one, we can change the health of people globally. I think is a really kind of like exciting uh, future um, for, for humankind.
0: Absolutely. Awesome. Awesome information. And you know, it's, it's having that real time data gets rid of the, why do I feel so crappy, even though all my blood tests are normal type of thing. So um, I want to thank you for your time. I, I, I have a new ending question that I asked my guest Dorian And is this, and, and I, I don't know what yours will be, but if you knew now um what you if you could have known then what you know now um what would you tell the young dorian
1: oh (laughs) wow that's you know uh, my brother once told me about me spending too much money on on my credit card and he go you will live to regret it and when you're a young person yeah nah i can do this It, it, it catches up with you and it, it's then with the hindsight, you know, prevention is so much easier than trying to fix the damage. Uh, you know, if you put a nail into a fence and every time you make a mistake or every time you do it, you put another nail in the fence and you keep doing that. And then you go like, okay, I'm gonna take those nails out now. And then you take those nails out. That fence will always be marked by every single one. You can't undo that in any way, shape or form we changed our website from being a sales website to giving away free information how tos we licensed every single low carb usa video 146 hours of videos and giving it away for free because we believe that prevention is the most important goal you know if you can change that i mean like maybe i could have been an einstein You know what I mean? I got kicked out of school when I was uh, 17, 18. And what would have happened with my brain development if like that, what could I have gone on to being an engineer? Could I have gone on to, you know, I love science. I love engineering, but you know what? I never applied myself. I was ADD. I would always get out of it. Well, we're seeing Dr. Chris Palmer working with nutrient psychology and using food to change things. What could I have been? So to my earlier self, you know, I would definitely kind of like said that that path there could have been far more exciting. And yet here in later life, maybe I got that excitement back and maybe I can bring it around and it is not too late. It is not too late because nothing is as good as healthy feels.
0: That's awesome. But perhaps you wouldn't have gotten onto the same path if you had had that development because you needed to go through those building blocks to get there. Yeah.
1: Is it Schrodinger's cat <laughs> on this one here? I don't know. You know, I, you know I'm in the now and in the moment. And I am really pleased that Gemma and I have been able to do what we've already done and to me make a difference in people's lives. Uh, that gives you value and it gives you it gives you worth. Uh, as as you move forward. Awesome. Awesome stuff, Dorian. I'll have to do part three
0: uh, in in less than two years because it was two years too long since we last talked. But (laughs) um, I I enjoyed this. I learned a lot of information. I know our viewers are going to learn a lot of information. I'm going to post links to... The content to our past video to be able to get um, the educational videos and to definitely start to test and data track and be able to become metabolically flexible and have as much energy as the as the president and ceo and mr mojo himself so thank you so much dorian for being here and i enjoyed this and i want you to have the rest of the year to be uh fulfilling rewarding and and continue on the same path that you're on thanks for tuning into today's show if you like what you've heard and you're interested to see if you're a good fit to work with our adrenal awakening program here's what to do next head to adrenalfatiguesociety.com forward slash apply and book an appointment to speak to our team here's how it works we'll get on the phone for about 45 minutes and get you crystal clear on three things number one where exactly do you want to be with your health and where are you now number two What are the genetic components that haven't been discovered that are impacting your health? And number three, what are the environmental triggers that may be overlapping with these genetic components keeping you from getting optimal health? Remember, getting your energy back just won't happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make that happen. We've helped clients all over the world transform their lives, quadruple their energy, and fix their metabolism and make the world a better place. To see if you can do the same thing, head to society.com forward slash apply. I'm Dr. Richard Joel Rosen, and we'll talk to you soon.